Well, I'd invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, this passage was read to us earlier. We just uh, want to, uh, just for the Christmas season, move through this little passage of hope from this godly man, the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, and verse 1 through 7. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nations. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulder and the rod of their oppressor as the as at the battle of Midian but every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire for a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders And His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace on the throne of David over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a joyous passage. A passage that brings hope, that has brought hope to millions before the birth of Christ and millions after the birth of Christ. And Lord, we pray that it would bring hope to us today. We thank you for this precious word. We pray that you would be honored and glorified. We pray that we would apply these things to our hearts and our minds, our lives today. And we would go out of here more hopeful. And our lives would be reflect that hope that lies within us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we started this passage last week, and we mentioned last week the need for hope. We have to have hope. It's a necessary part of life, and God gives hope. He's a a, a God who gives hope. He's a a hope-giving God, we might say. But in spite of that, many times we... We have the habit of just being bogged down in our own thinking, our own speculations, our own uh, 
vain imagination, as Paul would say. And we buy into Satan's lies. But we have to learn to reassure ourselves with hope. Um, hope takes work. We have to think our way through. Sometimes uh, when hope is waning and, and we are at a, a low point, we have, to, we have to think. We have to put our minds into, into gear and we have to listen to what God has to say. And we have to think our way through those times. Um, we must speak truth to ourselves. Paul put it a number of different ways. He, he said we must set our mind on the thing of, things above. That is, intentionally deliberate act. Setting our minds on the things above. Why? Because we gain hope from that. We have to renew our minds. We have to, we have to take every thought captive, he says. We must think on these things that meditate and concentrate on these things. But really the bigger picture is what fuels our hope. When we are concentrating and thinking on these things, what is it that we're thinking on? What, what is it that is our source of hope? What fuels that hope? And we see in Scripture that many, that, that the biggest really source of the Old Testament, really in the New Testament, is the birth of Christ, the birth of the Messiah. And we celebrate that, Christmas. There's a famous picture. Um, I tried to find out who painted it, but I, I had a hard time finding that out. But this picture is called Mary Consults Eve. And it's an interesting picture. It's a famous picture. Um, and in the picture, Eve is on the left, and she is sad and dejected, if you would say that, and sad and dejected. She's still holding the apple in one hand, and her leg is entangled by the, the serpent. And her other hand is stretched out and is touching the, the pregnated belly of Mary. And Mary is consoling her. Mary is content. You can tell that with the, with the expression on her face. But the most significant thing about Mary is that her foot is crushing the head of the serpent that's entwined around uh, Eve's leg. And this picture is depicting God's, God's giving hope to Adam and Eve from Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. It's a picture of hope. From the very beginning, God gave hope, and really ever since that time, we've been looking to that hope, to that Savior. Especially in the Old Testament, they were looking for that particular time when that child would be born. Now, that figure of this promised one looms large in the Old Testament. There's not a whole lot of information, but you can sense that, that every verse in the Old Testament is pushing to this Savior to be born. This, it's a silhouette. We just have a profile, kind of a shadow. We don't know who it is exactly, but we know He's going to come. And that hope, that, that fueled the fire of, of hope for those Old Testament saints. And I want to get us, give us a, a glimpse of this and go through some of those Old Testament passages. I tried to put them on the screen for us, but, but I couldn't 
do that. They were, they were too small. The font was too small to really put on the screen. So let me just give you some of these. I, I won't give you the references to all of them, but I'll refer to them. This Old Testament um, promised one from Genesis chapter 3, we see is the, the promised Savior. God promised him right after the fall of Adam and Eve. He's the blessed one, the, the one who will be a blessing to all the nations in Genesis chapter 12. He's of the tribe of Judah. He's a prophet sent by God to Israel, God's chosen people. He is a mighty conqueror in Numbers chapter 24. In 1 Samuel, he's a spiritual leader. Um, it says that will, that will fulfill the heart of and the will of God. I thought that was interesting. He is the descendant of, of David, we know that. He is anointed, is the anointed one by God, begotten of God in Psalm chapter 2, Psalm chapter 22. He is the suffering servant. In fact, so much so that in Isaiah we see that his visage is marred beyond all other men. In Zechariah 13, he is a shepherd. Isaiah reminds us that he will be born of a, of a virgin, and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. He is from the tribe of Judah, we mentioned that, but from specifically from the family of Jesse, that's David's father. He is the stone, a foundational stone, a precious cornerstone, Isaiah says. He is to bring forth justice. He is the light of the Gentiles, or light to the Gentiles. He is anointed to preach the good news. He's the, called the branch, Jeremiah calls him the branch of righteousness, who will gather his flock from all, all the countries, he says. And he will hold both office of the king and the priest. Um, Micah tells us that he is born in Bethlehem. Ezekiel tells us that he is righteous. And that he will feed his, feed, he feed his people like, like a shepherd would. He would care for them. He is the, the prince that will last forever. He is, in Daniel, he is depicted as, as this stone that strikes the image, the statue, and, and crushes the image, and it becomes this great mountain. He's the stone also that's cut out of the mountain without, it, with, he's cut out of the mountain without using any human instrument, human hands, depicting his deity there. He's, he's, he was given all of the kingdoms of the world, all the peoples and nations and language, uh, languages shall serve him, Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 7, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. But in Daniel chapter 9, we see that he will be cut off. And you, you just think, how does this even make sense? Cut off after 62 weeks, Zechariah says he's going to come and dwell among his people, among the nations, and the nations are going to join him. Isaiah chapter 32 says that he will rule from the nation of Israel. He will rule the rest of the world, and his people will rule with him. 
Now, in the New Testament, we know that Christ is that Messiah. He is that promised one of the Old Testament. The, the one that is just looms about it, that we know is, is coming and, and we see a, a clear picture in the New Testament. It's Christ. It's Christ. Peter verified it, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. His birth, His life, His teaching, His miracles, His death all point to the fact that this is the one we were waiting for. The angels, John the Baptist, Peter, all the other disciples verified, yes, this this is the Messiah. They affirmed that testimony. Those who were closest to Him. And that verifies for us today, that verifies that indeed God is working out His plan of redemption for man. That, that, that birth, his birth was the greatest turning point in the history of mankind. But the, the full impact of that is yet to be seen. In fact, the world doesn't really see it. It's no, not very much an impact at all, really, according to the world. But we see it. We're listening to what God has to say, and we glean hope. It's our biggest source of hope. We look back and, and we celebrate that today, that birth of that little child. And the purpose of this passage in Isaiah chapter 9 is to give hope. And it's a, a beam of, of light to Israel, and not only to Israel, but to the rest of the world, to us. The context of Isaiah is, is one of judgment. Preaching judgment and warning of gloom and sadness and, and punishment to Judah. And, but Isaiah gives a, a glimmer of hope, a, a little, a little picture of this Messiah that was to, to come. It's the focal point. The focal point leading up in this passage is verse six. A child will be born to us. A son will be Given. That's the focal point. That's the climax of this passage. Now, here's our point. You can see it on the screen. In the redemptive history of man, nothing more inspires hope in the heart of God's children than the birth of the Messiah. Nothing inspires us more than the birth of this little child. And, and that begs the question, why? What's the significance? Why is he so special? What is the what is the source of hope there? I mean, there's babies born every day, almost every minute probably. What's the source of hope? What why why is this so significant? And Isaiah gives us two two points here on that. He he points to his success and he points to his character. This is why this baby is the source of, of hope before he was born and after he was born. And it comes down to two things, his success and his, and his character, according to Isaiah. Look at his success first here. In verse 6, he says, For a child will be born to us, and a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. In verse 7, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, 
to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. And, and from then on, forevermore. Now, that's quite an accomplishment, if you want to call it accomplishment. But the government will rest upon his shoulders. All of the responsibility will rest upon him. He will be the king. Uh, Psalm chapter 2 and verse 6, we see that, that he was appointed that king. He was the uh, anointed one that God appoints that king. In fact, it's part of his inheritance. That, that he has not so much accomplished this, but he has, he has given this as a, a token of, of glory. And the government will rest upon his shoulders. The, the word rest there literally just means be. It will be upon his shoulders. All of that responsibility will be upon his shoulders. Now, we see, he gives us a little bit more information about that. He gives us four bits of information about his rule and his reign. There's four elements. The, the scope of his reign is, is worldwide. It, it never ends. Never in, it's ever increasing, never ending. If you look at the end of verse, or, or the middle, uh, verse 7, there will be no end to his increase of his government. That, that is, there is no place, there will be no place on earth that will not be part of his rule. That won't be part of his, uh, under his control. He will rule it all, in other words. The nature of his reign is one of, of peace. We see this in the, in the New Testament, or in the, yeah, New Testament uh, Revelation 19 as well. It'll be a forced peace. There will be, he'll bring war to an end. No warring factions. All the nations of the world will, will be united under his rule. Global domination, if you will. Global peace. His character, the character, major characteristic of that, his reign will be justice and righteousness. He will rule based upon righteousness, his own righteousness. It really stems from his own character. And his judgment will um, affect the whole world, all of the nations. And the length of his rule and reign is forever, from then on. And we know from putting Scripture, comparing Scripture to Scripture, that would include the, the thousand-year reign here on earth and going into the new heaven and a new earth forever, from then on. So his success here that Isaiah is pointing out is, is world domination. World domination. Now, there's a lot, of, a lot of people that would have tried to dominate the world. A lot of peoples, Egypt, Babylonians, the Assyrians... The Greeks, the Romans, they all wanted world domination. World domination. And at times, you look at the world and you think, they've accomplished it. Accomplished it. But not to this, not to this degree. This is, this is comprehensive. And what we see here is again, a glimpse of the Messiah. A glimpse of the Messiah. But what, what's interesting to me is, is what kind of encouragement and what kind of hope would this bring to those Old Testament saints? 
What, what would they be thinking? Those That remnant that is listening to God, not necessarily the whole of, of Israel. We know that they were not really in tune, but there were some and they were listening. Is he just talking about here, uh, be encouraged because of uh, patriotism, someday we're going to win? Now, I think it's deeper than that, far deeper than that. This is God's appointed man on God's throne for with God's people. This is their very identity. This is who they are. They are God's people. So to gain this hope, they need to remember the words of Moses and Samuel and Daniel and David. They're working out in the field or, or maybe they're going to be enslaved to other people and they're working for other people. They have to remind themselves or they're sweating. They have to remind themselves of God's redeeming plan. They have to remind themselves someday there's going to be a king. There's going to be a baby that's born and, and all, the, all the rule of the world is going to be on his shoulders. They have to remember that God keeps His promise. And they have to say to themselves, in spite of the circumstances that we see around us, this spiritual freefall of our nation, the punishment of God that's getting ready to come upon us, us moving into exile, there's a bit of encouragement here. A baby is going to be born. And the government will be on his shoulders and it will be world domination, success, complete success forevermore. Now there's a principle here. There's a principle for I want us to, to understand. The circumstances of our life, folks, do not have to change for us to be satisfied. The circumstances of our life don't have to, to change for us to be fulfilled, for us to, to have joy, for us to have peace. We don't, nothing really has to change. It's just a, a mental thing. We have to think. We have to realize who we are. We have to listen to the hope that God gives us in Scripture. And we've, we've seen, we look back and, and we've seen that God has fulfilled His promise thus far in redemptive history. And that gives us hope for a second coming of Christ. In fact, we go beyond that. That Christ has established His kingdom now. There's a spiritual kingdom now that Christ has in the hearts of His people. And it demands loyalty. Demands loyalty. He's established His spiritual kingdom now in the heart of His subject. He rules now. We submit to His will now. He is the King now. And we are His people now. And that means... That means, that, that formulates for us our very own identity. Just like those Old Testament, those Old Testament saints. We are His citizens. We are His people. We are loyal to Him. Much like those Old Testament saints. But we have to remember. We have to think. We have to remind ourselves of the fact of, of the redemptive history, uh, redemptive plan of, of God. 
We have to remind ourselves every day of the Gospel, what God has done for us. In our part of God's redemptive plan, we have to remember that someday we will rule with Him when He rules. We have to allow ourselves, folks, to be encouraged. We have to allow ourselves to be encouraged because I think so often we wallow in self-pity. So often we look at the circumstances around us, the, the spiritual downfall of our nation. God's hand of, of judgment is on us. Or His grace is being pulled back and, and we are allowed to just go our own way. We see that passive judgment of, of God. And our head, folks, need to be lifted up. We need to be reminded of what God has done and, and what God is doing now. But it's hard to wait, isn't it? We have to fuel that hope with the, the truth of the Gospel, the, the truth of what God is doing. And someday, folks, the Lord will reign and the meek will inherit the earth. And we take comfort in that. So we see His success is, is world domination and we're loyal to His kingdom. That defines who we are and we're loyal to Him. Let's look at His character. Verse 6b. The government will rest upon His shoulders. And here's His character. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, the name shall be called. There's significance to that. I, I love the, uh, the song that we sang today. Just beautiful name. It's just real appropriate for this, this passage. The word, the, the name of, of Christ is a summation of all He is, who He is, His character. And when you look at this, you realize this is supernatural uh, in nature. It's not really human. And he gives us four characteristics. I know there's a lot of words here, but they're, they're grouped together in twos, two words at a time. There's four characteristics. First of all is, is wonderful counselor. This is talking about his wisdom. Um, it's just the opposite of the counsel that, that Satan gave Eve back in the garden, isn't it? That didn't work out so well. That was bad counsel. That was not wisdom. And it's contrary to the, the counsel of men many times. The, the, govern, the, uh, the king that was ruling at this time in uh, Isaiah's ministry was probably Ahaz. Um, not known for being wise. Mankind is, is mankind, uh, man's wisdom is, is limited. Limited because of our, our scope, our, our perspective is so limited, but also because of our sinfulness. There's no part of our, our person that is not affected by sin. We're totally depraved. And, and because of that, we, we can't always give wise counsel. We look at Scripture, Absalom, the king, David's son, he took advice from Ahithophel. It didn't work out so well. Uh, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, took, he rejected the, the counsel of the older people and he accepted the counsel of this young people, his peers, and it didn't work out so well. 
Solomon is a good example for us, but he received his wisdom from where? From, from God. From God. This is a, a wise counsel. This is wonderful counsel. This is the, the highest of, of wisdom. God's perspective. A wonderful counselor. He's also a mighty God. This is talking about military might, his power, but also Mighty God implies the spiritual power as well. Ultimate power. Eternal Father. He's caring and concerned for His people, for His children. And then we see Prince of Peace. I think that refers to His ability. His ability to bring warring factions together. His ability of reconciliation of, of two warring parties. So for these Old Testament saints, I believe what you see is a picture of impeccable character. Impeccable character. It's character to be trusted. They would read this and think, yes, that King is going to come and we can trust Him. He will accomplish what needs to be done here. Because He has supernatural power. Now, Folks, we can't trust man, can we? So often we, we just can't. Um, this is a bad illustration, not really an illustration at all, but we're Steelers fans at the Dingus household. and Man, the Steelers were doing so well. Eleven games, right? Hadn't lost, and then they lose the last three games. You can't put your trust in man. Not even the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Folks, much more serious than this. This is a world that is, it's hard to tell who the good guys and who the bad guys are. I mean, spiritually, it's, it's almost impossible to, to know and have that kind of discernment. We have to know someone that we can trust, and it is, it is Christ, it is this Messiah that is to be born. Why? Because of His character. His character as seen in His Word. Our tendency, folks, is to just, to, to just trust Him partially. Trust Him a little bit. Um, because we, we tend to trust what we know. And most of the time, folks, we know our old life. Instead of getting rid of that old life, we just add Christ to our already existing habits of our life. Instead of crushing that old life, or as Paul would say, putting off the old man, or putting off the old life, we just want to paint the old house. We just want to try to fix that foundation. Instead of just crushing that and destroying that old house. Instead of tearing it down and building from scratch a, a godly life using godly principles. So that means we would, we would have to realize that our, we're totally depraved. We can't really depend on our own thinking. And so we have to give up confidence in our own wisdom. We have to abandon our own counsel, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, right? And we trust the wonderful counselor. 
And we have to, to give up the, the tactics, our tactics of manipulation and, and skill of controlling people and dominating other people. And, and we have to stop that and, and put that aside and put our faith in a mighty God who can control the situations much better than we can. We have to put away the, the old sources of comfort, of Whatever, pills or alcohol or ungodly relationship. We put those things aside and we rely on the everlasting Father who cares for us and allow Him to, to comfort us and allow His comfort to be enough. So often I think we, we look to the world's comfort. When we have the greater comforter here, the, the one who is an eternal father, our eternal father, he loves us from beginning to end. And we have to stop striving for peace and we have to trust him and his ability to bring about peace in our relationships, peace in our world, because he's the prince of peace. Right? There's no more inspiring hope in the hearts of God's children than, than the birth of the Messiah. We look to His success and we completely trust in His character. And here's the thing, folks. We will never have true hope while we're seeking independence from God. We, we, we seek for hope in so many different things. And we seek for things that will not satisfy. Nothing will satisfy apart from our Creator, a relationship with, with Him. Nothing's gonna satisfy. And, and here we are in our rebellious state seeking independence from God, and He's the very one that we need to be dependent on. God is a God to be trusted. We can we can rely on Him, on His redemptive plan. We trust Him for His redemptive plan many times, but we don't trust Him for our daily lives. Isaiah says, For unto us a child is born. And as believers, folks, our hope is in the Lord. Our hope is in the Lord. Our loyalty is in His kingdom, and our trust is in His, His character. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I, I thank you for this passage of hope. I thank you, Lord, for, for Christmas, for the opportunity to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Our King, the one who, who determines our identity. And Lord, may our loyalties be to Him and to His kingdom. May we genuinely trust His character. And Lord, may we wean ourselves off from trusting this flesh. Wean ourselves off from trusting, relying on the world, the world's thinking. And Lord, may we never buy into Satan's lies. May we trust His character. As, as put forth in, in His Word. Lord, we live in a world where 
things seem to be falling apart, but yet we have this anchor for our souls. We have a God to be trusted. And Lord, thank you for that glimmer of hope, that, that opportunity to celebrate that hope this, this season. Lord, it's been a very difficult year for many people. We've lost two people in our congregation. But Lord, we, we have hope. We have hope. And our hope is in the Lord. And may that not just be words of a song, but may that be the genuine character of our heart. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.